Welcome to Sounds Familiar, a podcast where we discuss two pieces of media that share themes, plot points, or overarching ideas. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram to keep up to date with our upload schedule, news, and discussions. Take your seat, grab your popcorn, and silence your cell phones now. Please enjoy the show. sounds familiar my name is caleb and my world is fire and blood my name is stephanie and i am the scales of justice conductor of the choir of death and welcome to our happy fun time podcast (laughs) i know about a couple of uh happy i I don't know uh cheery peppy uh i mean they have happy endings we'll put it that way positive movies uplifting inspiring Uh (laughs) post-apocalyptic but in a fun way movies i don't know uh the the vibes are i like the vibes the vibes are not all right (laughs) i don't know the vibes are somewhere in between i think i think that's something that i like about these movies um you know they feel kind of hope punk you know hope punk have you heard of that it's not a term i'm familiar hope with punk uh so more or less like post-apocalyptic or apocalyptic but hopeful okay <laughs> that would be the the brief explanation of it all right i buy it as in like and i feel like it's kind of like a nice little shorthand for a lot of stuff that i really like it's like pretty dark subject matter and circumstances but but hopeful and has a happy ending generally speaking i like that kind of thing um yeah i think that more or less describes these so this is our 50th episode 50th episode Um, spectacular was originally supposed to be just let's pick some movies that we want to talk about but have no official pairings for. we have a long list of movies that were like we really want to talk about these movies because we like them and find them interesting but we don't know what to pair with them right so we didn't have any solid ideas for mad max and there aren't and we we talked about two other groundhog day-esque movies um already i wasn't gonna find a fourth to pair with edge of tomorrow yeah um but they ended up not pairing terribly they're not entirely dissimilar that happens to us a lot like whenever we uh pick movies seemingly at random just for you know them being movies we want to talk about frequently we we find some some similarities movies are kind of an interconnected web you know like there are there are little threads that you wouldn't expect to be there that often do end up being there we take we take things with similar qualities and we (laughs) bring them together you know that's what we do um it interlaces fingers so these movies were released only a year apart um uh, edge of tomorrow aka live die repeat edge of tomorrow aka all you need is kill um was released in 2014 and mad max fury road in 2015 both of them kind of coming out of nowhere i didn't know anything about either of these until they were in theaters um i saw edge of tomorrow in theaters at least twice at least twice potentially three times but definitely at least twice which doesn't happen often it's not it's not often that i go back and see a movie in theaters again you know um the, the only times that's happened is, I don't know, the Avengers movies, uh, 
into the Spider-Verse, which I saw like five times. I was going to say, I think my record is still The Force Awakens, which I saw either five or six times in theaters um, because just my mind was blown. At some point, we need to do a revisitation of the sequel trilogy so you can kind of talk about that experience because okay. what a ride. Yeah, to you, Stephanie can take us through it because she was there, part of the fandom firsthand from... Yes, I was. From the beginning. Yeah, I think it would be fun to talk about the fandom as well. Well, parts of it would be fun. Yeah, Other fun. Parts, not so fun. <laughs> we might have different definitions of fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, um, so I guess if we're going to go ahead and talk about Edge of Tomorrow... Um, yeah, I, I think I only saw it once in theaters. I saw it with Caleb. Yeah. Pretty sure. Pretty sure I saw it with one, another one of our friends and I was like, Stephanie, come see it with me. Yeah. Because I want to see it again. I remember not having very high expectations. I honestly don't know if I had even seen the trailer at that point. It wasn't really on my radar, but then when I went to watch it, I was like, oh, that was actually pretty good. Damn. <laughs> like. Yeah, I really so, enjoyed it. <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised. It, it's a good movie. I have zero complaints about this movie. It does everything it needs to do as, like, a competent summer blockbuster. Yeah, and, and, and effectively uses the uh, time loop uh, storytelling yeah. device. Right. Um, yeah, so let's talk about it. Um, so... Oh, gosh. So, yeah, obviously this is a time loop movie, um, with the conceit being that uh, every time the main character dies, the day resets, basically. Right. Um, and I guess, is it ever so, made clear what happens if he doesn't die? Isn't it that if he doesn't uh, die on a given day, then the day won't reset and they'll be stuck with that timeline? No, I don't think you're stuck with the timeline. I don't, we don't ever see him make I don't it to the think, end of the day, though. I, he, he, I think he goes into detail about it at some point. I don't think it's like a DVR, you know, where, like, you pause it, and after it's been paused for 30 minutes, it, like, it moves your the pause point forward. It's no longer where you paused it. What? Uh, that's how DVR works. That or they like used to. They, 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 well, they, had, they didn't have much RAM to work with back in 2005. Anyway, um, I think it's... It's set. It's like a save point. Um, well, right, but doesn't he at at certain points like like she specifically kills him or he kills himself to reset the day? So isn't it that like if he doesn't die before the twenty four hours are up, then the day doesn't reset? I don't think that's it. Well, then why would she go out of her way to kill him? Because that runs a wash. Like most of the time, she kills him is because he was like brutally injured or their plan went wrong. And so she was like, all right, time to reset. Because they're, they're not going to get any more use out of that run. But. Are you familiar with speed running at all, Stephanie? No, nor do I care to be. So in the, you're about to be a little bit. Okay. So in the video game speed running community, if you are, you're, you're attempting a run um, and you make a major mistake at some point that costs you, you know, five or ten seconds. You just hit the reset yes. button and start from the beginning. Well, okay, but wouldn't it be that like, um, oh gosh, I feel like this was said. This was said at some point. You know what? It's not important. I mean, it See, might be important. I, think, I don't you, know. You know, in Groundhog Day and Palm Springs, it does reset at a specific time. Right. Um, but we never see that happen in this one. Right. Because I don't think it's relevant or important. It's not... I feel like we would have seen it at least once if it was possible to happen. And I'm saying that 
I don't, I would not stake my life on this, but I think it's that if he doesn't get killed, the day doesn't reset. Because Right, it, no, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm, I'm wait, agreeing what? with that point. I thought you were saying that after 24 hours, the day resets, no matter if he dies or not. No. Okay, then we're we on the same the page. We're doing of all that. of this. Oh my god, we just wasted all that time going over that. I... <laughs> Who cares? Tangents are fun. No, I would say, yeah, like, if he doesn't get killed, the day keeps going. Unlike in Groundhog Day and Palm Right, Springs. that is how I also perceived it. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad we could figure that out. Anyway. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. So... So I think this movie does something very interesting with the time loop mechanic, which others that I've seen do not do. So in, like, both Groundhog Day and Palm Springs... When our heroes escape the time loop, that's the end of the movie. That was the end goal, right? They learned all of the lessons that they needed to learn while they were in the loop, and then they break it, and they get to go on and live their lives with the lessons that they've learned. In Edge of Tomorrow, our hero loses his time loop ability right before, like, the final act. Like, right when he would need it most. And that's most. presented as a scary thing. Like, it's actually like, oh shit, you don't have the time right, loop anymore. Right, you don't get a reset anymore. Right, right. There's no, oh, you're injured, we'll just, you know, put you down like a horse and then you wake up. Um, It's... Yeah, that, which I thought was cool because it's doing something different with the time loop mechanic. Mm-hmm. Because in, like, Groundhog Day and Time, time Springs, Palm Springs, <laughs> I mean, that kind of fits, right? Um, It's like they're trapped in that and they want to get out. With him, at first he's trapped in it, but then he's like, oh, I actually need to be here. Right. Like, this is good for the me. The way it, it works is that it's an advantage for them, because this is an ability that the enemy normally has, and right. now we have it, and this is an opportunity to use it, as opposed to it being just being a purgatory. Right. It's, it's... Right, it's not, I mean, it is a sort of purgatory, but more than that, it's like... It's like he's stuck in training, kind of, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, like the training cycle, um, which is interesting, you know, like, um, I guess, <laughs> I mean, oh gosh, there's so many things, like, one of the things is that, like, the humans who are fighting the alien invasion don't know that the aliens have this time loop reset ability. Right. Nobody believes them. Right. And it's ki- <laughs> it's kind of wild that, like... Throughout the entire movie, that does not change. The only two people who ever find out about it, at least up until the end of the movie, who knows what happens after that, are um, the main character, whose name I don't remember, and Rita. Cage. I don't remember his first name. Yeah. William? Something. I don't know. Yeah. They're the only... Tom Cruise. (laughs) They're the only people who know. And so, like, I guess what happens... And Rita's scientist friend. Okay, yes. That guy's cool. Um, I guess what happens is that when the aliens get killed, it just automatically resets. They have that ability. So humans don't know it, but the timeline's been resetting every day. Like, every time the aliens get killed, it just resets. And I guess it's important not to get bogged down in the details once again. I don't really know how this works, but when they kill the Omega... Mm-hmm. That's what it's called. The, like, hive mind thing or whatever that's controlling it. Mm-hmm. Somehow, somehow the other ones lose the ability lose the ability to reset, but Tom Cruise gets it reset one more time. I don't... Well, because he... Okay. <laughs> so the reason he originally was able to was because he killed an alpha and, like, its blood, like, splashed on him and, like, 
fused its way into his blood somehow. Hard to believe that didn't happen that, more often than just him and Rita. Well, there's only yes. the alphas only occur one in six million. Oh, see, I missed that detail. They're, they're scientists friend drops down. Oh, okay, yeah, I didn't. Um, I missed that. Only one in six million of the mimics are an alpha. Um, Interesting. And then at the end, when he blows up the Omega, the same thing happens. You see it. The blood from the Omega leeches into Cage. And so he gets one final reset because of that. Yes. Right, which is a, a great, not really a twist ending, but a great, like, it twists in a way that it's like... Yeah, and it, it takes us all the way back to his first scene. Right, and it's great because, <laughs> and I love how sci- uh, like sci-fi type movies can allow this stuff to happen. It's just a hand-wavy, like, oh, well, all the timeline didn't reset as in the thing that he did still happened. He still defeated the Omega, but he also gets to go back to the beginning of the ne- the, the yep. previous And day. everyone that died with him on that mission. Right, brings them all back to life. So it's, and I love that. It's like a, it's a perfect hand wavy, just, just go with it, happy ending. And I don't know, I think that's kind of nice. <laughs> like, like, it's fine. I don't know what the rules are. Just tell me it happens. No, no, it's not. It, it, it is because you're shown over and over again how horrible it's going to be. Every person on that beach dies. The yep. mimics make it to London and they, they, they just destroy the entire island and kill every person on it. Um, and, you know, this prevents all of that mm-hmm. um, entirely. Right. And they don't even have to die for it. Like, everyone gets to right. come back to life. It's really nice. Well, it's also nice because it's like, it's sort of that fairy tale concept of like, dying for something but still getting to live it's like you do your penance you make your sacrifice in dying but in this case death is not the end (laughs) you know so it's like you've paid your your dues but then you get to come back after that which is nice (laughs) it's it keeps it from being too downer of an ending um yeah jj abrams should have watched this movie i know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go (laughs) up yep it's I'm just saying it's a tried and true storytelling thing that a character can make a sacrifice and giving their life and then be brought back to life because they have paid their dues for their evils of the past. It's not important. Um, anyways, um, so, so, right, I, I really like that because it's like you should, you see each of the characters' willingness to die for their cause and yet you still allow it to be a triumphant ending by, like, resetting the timeline like that. Right, it's, it's nice. Yeah, it is nice. Um, yeah, so... Um, if I may. Yeah, you may. There's um, something in this movie that I enjoy that is unique to this type of story. Um, and that's the audience being unaware of how many times the main character is reset. Yeah. Um, you're right. That's always kind of a, oh god, kind of moment when I you realize, it, like... I think it does it in an even more interesting and appealing way than the original Groundhog Day. Because, like, they would just kind of throw out this factoid, um, like, or, or there is a factoid floating around. This isn't expressed in the movie. Like, oh yeah, he was trapped in the loop for a thousand years. I'm like, cool. Like, I don't uh, want to know exactly how long they were in there. Right, that's like, not important. Even, even if I know, that doesn't tell me anything. But right. anyway, to, the, the point <laughs> is that so and this is addressed in the movie um where when he first meets the scientist um the scientist asks him how many fingers he's holding up and he doesn't know and he says okay so this is the first time we've had this conversation Mm. and then then they play with it from there 
Yeah. Where at a certain point in the movie, we are, the audience assumes it's the first time we've seen a, something happen. But then it, then turns, it turns out, out. Yeah. this has happened many, many, many times already. They make it to a farmhouse and there's a helicopter um, and Rita wants to take the helicopter and Cage reveals that they've made it to this specific point many times and no matter what they do, she dies yeah. here. Um, it, and that's kind of a reveal to the audience, even it though is. it's not to the character. You're like, oh, shit. Right. Because you haven't seen that so you far. You haven't seen any of that. He's dropping little details, like personal details that she has given him in like private conversations that they've had that we haven't seen. Yep. Um, and so I I really appreciate that specific storytelling technique that you can do only in this type of story. Yeah. Um, I don't because you know that the hero has gone through all of this loss and the fact that they like are holding it in and then they just like let it slip in little details and they're eventually like we've this isn't the first time we've been here many many times before and you're like oh that's such a fascinating like kind of like. I don't know what the right word is juxtaposition of character knowledge and audience knowledge because a lot of times with the protagonist character you're kind of going through the journey with them and that is that is more or less the case with this but there there is kind of an expert withholding of certain bits of information that it it's like the character knows this but the audience doesn't but then when the character reveals that information it's still a reveal for the audience i guess like i, I don't know i i think that's kind of cool yeah. Um. Just selectively doling out information. And I think this movie does that really well. Yeah. Like, and I think Palm Springs did too because yeah. Palm Springs was the uh, only time I've seen this type of story where we meet the ca- main character has already been in the loop for who knows how long. Well, I and would argue what's her face new... is the protagonist character, like more or less. I mean, they could I, both count yeah. as protagonists. I but, would call them co-protagonists. But what I'm saying is we still see it through the new person's we eyes. We do. So we still see it through her eyes, but then also you get the benefit of having him where dropping details later yes. on, like this isn't the first time we've had sex and stuff right, like that. Right, right. Um, because you don't know. Right, you it assume still it's the allows first time. it to be a reveal um, to the audience. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that this movie does that really well with, like, something changes each time, or you see him learn something each time. And when you don't see him learn something, you still see it come back later, where it's like, oh, he has learned this. Like, um, which I think is really great. Like, it kind of reminds me of playing a video game. <laughs> This is coming from someone who is not yes, a gamer. much like a video game, like... Stephanie. <laughs> and so I, I can't really speak to this in most scenarios, but, like, it did remind me of, like, when there's a, a tough part in a video game and you have to keep playing it over and over, but each time you learn a little bit more mm-hmm. and get a little better at it. This uh, this movie is like a, uh, a roguelike, which... What's that? For, to, to explain to Stephanie what a roguelike <laughs> is... Um, are games where uh it's like permadeath where it's like all of the progress you have made you still have when you die 
you start all the way at the beginning. Oh, I hate that. But no. you have the knowledge that you gained in the okay, prior yes. run. Yeah. And potentially, some some games will have, like, permanent unlocks that will help you in the next run. You know? But it's, 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 you get your chance, and then when it's done, you, you gotta start over. Right. Yes, and I, to be fair, I do not like that. I do not like being stuck in a time loop, much like our protagonist. But... <laughs> But it does allow him to learn, which is cool. And you do kind of see... I think my only critique would be that I would like for him, as is the case with a lot of time loop characters, to be a slightly more despicable character at the beginning so that we see him go through more of a moral arc. Because at the beginning, like, I'm extremely sympathetic to him. Yeah, it's like, literally just, he's kind of a coward but who, like, doesn't want to die in a fair. battle. Like, yeah, like, sure, I don't want to die he's either. He's a PR guy. Like, it's, yeah. it's, I don't know. That would be my only real criticism is that the way the movie frames it is kind of like, oh, he wears the military uniform, but, like, he's only a PR guy. and He he can't actually do combat. And I'm like, there are a lot of people in the military who don't yeah, do combat. Like, that's damn, a pretty that is, big thing. That's somebody's like, job, you know? Yeah, like, right, so I honestly, he seems like a perfectly fine person who's just a bit of a coward, and I don't see that as a big issue in need of redeeming, but I don't know. I think, to me, I would either frame it as he's kind of an everyman, like, he's not even involved in the military and he gets put in that situation, because that would make it be a little bit more of a growth thing, like, he's just some guy who doesn't know what he's doing, which is kind of what they're doing, but the fact that he's already in the military but doesn't know what he's doing kind of makes it seem like the joke's on him. And I don't know if I really agree with that because it's like, he, he's doing his job. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and the fact that he doesn't want to go into combat to me is not a moral failing because I wouldn't either. <laughs> but whatever. Anyway, I, but he does have, you do see him grow, which is cool. Like, I think he should have started out as a slightly worse person, but... That's just me. I love a redemption arc. Whatever. Like, he, he... It is good to see him go from someone who has absolutely no idea what he's doing to, like, a complete badass. Like, because that's always fun to see in a yeah. movie. <laughs> um, and I guess it provided with nearly unlimited training, we could too. Though I guess, now that I think about it, it's fortunate that he didn't just completely lose his mind from dying that many times. But I guess you can get used to anything. (laughs) (laughs) I know, like... Or the fact that he has to go from... It really pains me to describe this as character growth because it feels really gross, but that he has to go from getting killed by other things to actively killing himself to reset the timeline. (laughs) I hate to describe that as growth, but I guess it kind of is in his situation. He's taking the initiative. (laughs) Well, that's, um, I think that's a good segue into our, um, the movie's thesis statement, Mm. Mm. which it conveniently gives you right up front, um, in, before the time loop stuff even happens. Um, shit, uh, the Master Sergeant, played by Bill Paxton, um, is, uh, so, Cage tries to blackmail someone out of getting sent to the front lines, and then he gets sent, like, to the forward operating base, like, with a letter saying that he's a deserter and a private and not an officer. That was not cool of them to do, by the way. No. And, um... That was pretty unethical. Yes. And, um... So, the Master Sergeant 
is this constant character. He's the first person he meets every time he wakes up. Um, and he catches the squad gambling. Says, what is my view of gambling in the barracks? Dislike it, Sergeant Farrell. Why do I dislike it? Because it entertains the notion that our fate is in hands other than our own. And what is my definitive position on the concept of fate, Chorus? Through readiness and discipline, we are masters of our fate. You might call that notion ironic, but trust me, you'll come around. Hmm. Through readiness and discipline, we are masters of our fate. Yeah, you're right. That is pretty essentially the the thesis statement. That's that's it. There you go. That's <laughs> yeah, bye bye. That's like, like yeah. <laughs> no, I I do like how how that's done too. Because like like through living through the time loops. He is learning readiness. He is remembering every single detail that he has to remember to survive. And then he has the discipline to find, seek Rita out and, like, do as as much training as he possibly can. And, like, figure out what his mission needs to be and follow it through. Um, And then, you know, ultimately, like, even once he loses the power, he is still able to be the master of his fate and, like, make it as if all of the bad stuff never happened at all. Yeah. Um... Because of the readiness and discipline. Right. And it makes the whole... It makes... That's another great thing about timeline... Time loop movies. Is that, like, everything feels worth it at the end. Like, it just gives it that sense of, like... All this had to happen for the ending to happen. Which is great. Like, that's... In some ways, it's, like... The... (laughs) The most essential movie. Like, the most essential type of movie... That it's, like, it's seeing someone go through things, learn things, adapt to their circumstances, develop relationships, and, like, have an ending that feels earned. Like, in some ways, it's boiling those things down to their most essential. It's very satisfying, because you're right, it does feel like every single thing that happens is building towards something there is an ultimate goal right everything matters it's never uh, movies like this are rarely ever like what was the point in that why did we need that to happen right right. no it's gotta be if you're gonna do a story like this you know if you're gonna be stuck living the same day over and over again every different every time you do something different it's gotta mean something yeah and i really like that like i mean even at the end um the last sequence, like, more of the characters from his, like, squadron or whatever the fuck it's called are, like, involved. And I really hate them at the beginning of the movie. Fuck. I hate almost every character at the beginning of the movie. I just, like, it just feels so mean-spirited. It's just, like, let first of all, let's lie about this guy and who he is and, like, force him into combat, even though that's not what he's trained for and we all know it. Or... Okay, they don't all know it. They think he's a chaser. The guy who sends him there knows it. Like, and then it's like, then let's all gang up on this guy who clearly doesn't know what's going on. And, like, essentially be like, yeah, we're gonna let you die and not help you. Like, and just everyone's a fucking asshole. And I'm like, I hate you all. I hope you all get stomped by aliens, frankly. And they do. Like, and they do, actually. Except for the guy who gets crushed by the dropship. Yep. (laughs) The the couple times where he just kind of lets him get crushed and we're... Yeah, I, I felt a little bad, but I thought it was kind of funny. He's just like, "Yeah, I don't have time for this shit today. Goodbye." <laughs> like he just gets. Well, yeah, it's like if I don't stomped. try and save you, I get an extra like five steps in towards exactly. my goal. 
kind of ruthlessly pragmatic. But honestly, if they didn't want to get stopped by an alien, maybe they should have been nicer. But <laughs> anyway. I'm not I sure what moral that. theory that, or, that fall, or ethical theory that falls under. Ugh, something, something that I probably would disagree with. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. But no, it's, I guess it, it annoys me more because the movie doesn't seem to be completely convinced that these people are assholes, if that makes sense. Like, I'm not the kind of person who usually gets really annoyed at characters for being assholes if the movie tells you that they're assholes. I'm just like, oh, right. yeah, that's what they're supposed to do. But I get really angry if they're assholes and the movie is just kind of like, eh, yeah, it happens. Then I'm like, wait, what the fuck? <laughs> like, get really mad. And of course, that's probably how it actually is in the military. But I don't know. And I don't ever want to know. So, yeah. But anyway, they come around at the end because he like shows himself to be one of them and to be like knowledgeable and competent and actually gets them to fight alongside him and a lot of them even to you know give up their lives for the continuance of his his mission which is all of them pretty impressive oh yeah that's right literally everyone dies <laughs> everyone but then and then he even like after they all died for him it's like he still manages to come in clutch because he still ends up saving them all by resetting the timeline so, and it just kind of sucks that they won't know that he saved their asses like that. <laughs> because when the timeline resets, well, the only person who knows what happened before is him. And the only person who probably will believe him, at least at first blush, is Rita. Because she previously experienced the same thing. Yep. So she was kind of like the trial run for that as we as we learned through like their dialogue. In that she also got some of the blood um, mixed with her blood lived the same day over and over again but something happened she wasn't able to reset the day and then she lost the power completely and the the timeline just continued yeah i think is but what fortunately happened. it was after her big victory right right so it's that's kind of... that's why she was so they were touting that these exosuits are so easy to use and are they're gonna help them win the war because rita was able to get hundreds of kills on her first day in combat in the suit because she had been reliving <laughs> right the but day. they don't know that they, they don't, don't know, know that, that she was yeah <laughs> that's a little funny but right and then when she tried to tell people was it like they didn't believe her uh they either didn't believe her or they committed her or they uh vivisected her <laughs> see that's also the like most annoying thing to me is like i feel like there is critique to be made here of like how even under the most extreme, like, dangerous circumstances, people are still stupid, panicky creatures who, like, won't listen to each other. But I feel like that's not really explored beyond the most surface level. But it very easily could be, because she she is a, a war hero. She's literally called the Angel of Verdun. And, and yet she has still, in past timelines, been treated like she was crazy. And, you know, and just completely dismissed um, for saying what she had learned. And it's just, that feels very unexamined. Like, it's just kind of a fact of life in yes. that universe. There are a lot of awful or questionable things in this movie that just go entirely unexamined. <laughs> or even, like, right. they're, they're, they're not even cast in a shadowy light. It's literally they're just, this is how it is. That's just how it is. Right, <laughs> and it's especially crazy because the, this is a humanity that's been invaded by fucking... Aliens! In, like, inexorable aliens from outer space, the, and they're not willing to entertain that someone could be in a time loop. God, there's a, there's a, there's a sequence where, um, the, the doctor, the scientist, is trying to explain that he was building this device that would help them track the Omega, 
And the character's like, where is it? And he's like, well, it's at this facility that I got kicked out of because they called me crazy. And I'm like, you were just talking about, like, waves, wavelengths and, like, tracing things. And I'm like, these are all just, like, well-known, like, proven scientific, yeah, like, science. things. <laughs> and they're like, nah, that's too crazy. But when you're talking about aliens right like that would be crazy to someone like, who hadn't yet seen aliens these aren't even like standard looking like carbon-based life forms like these aren't little green men they look like machines these are crazy things i know and and someone says i want to track something using wavelengths and, <laughs> and then it's like oh we better commit him like i i know it's it's such a frustrating thing where the movie repeatedly tells you these people will be thought of as crazy by the rest of the humans and yet never examines that and never steps back and goes, maybe the humans are wrong to think of them as crazy. Right. It's just kind of like an accepted thing. And that that is something that definitely frustrates me about it. But, you know, I guess a movie can only do so many things at one time. Whatever. <laughs> the things, let me put it this way, the things it does, it does very well. The things it actually does get around to addressing, it addresses well. It's just the there's also a lot of things that I'm like I feel like this should be addressed yes. because it's definitely rubbing me the wrong way, yes, but it, I it agree. isn't. <laughs> but for what it does do, it, it does very well, and you know, it, and it also is like every time loop movie needs a romance because like what better way to like have a romance than like showing characters having similar interactions each time but learning well. I was going to say learning more about each other. One of them's learning more about the other every time. It makes it time. difficult. And then they yeah. have that. There's always that one scene where the one character reveals too much of, of, yes. the, of how much they know. Yeah. No, and it's it's really great. And I, I, I also like how this movie does it and, and feels like it really gives it a heart, you know? Um, and I, I like that a lot. Um, it's yeah. solid. Yeah, it's also, really solid. It's good execution, fun concept. Also, I like Tom Cruise as an actor, and I like Emily Blunt. Yeah, they they both are really great, really charming. Um, yeah, I like them in pretty much every role I see them in, like, both separately. I, I can't decide if I should tell Caleb he needs to watch A Quiet Place or not, because there's a lot of Emily Blunt in that, and she's really great in it. Mm, um, see, the funny thing about that is Emily Blunt is also in other movies. <laughs> that are scary. I know, I know. <laughs> No, well, but see, the thing about A Quiet Place is it's, like, it feels kind of Jurassic Parky in that it's, like, could be considered a horror movie, but there are a lot of, like, other things going on. I don't know. Oh, speaking of Tom Cruise, also feels kind of like War of the Worlds, which I feel like is maybe something Caleb could watch, though it is on the scary side. I don't know if it I would... Is? Yes. Really? Yes. Oh, I would not. I would not put it as horror, but I would put it in kind of the in between space where there is definitely some scary parts and like oh. some scary circumstances. Let's put it that way. I was not was aware. Like, of... Oh, I was planning to watch War of the Worlds, but now I'm not sure. Ah, damn. No, there are definitely some horror sequences in that one. I feel like you could handle it, but you know, hard to say. Whereas a quiet place, <laughs> the only thing about a quiet place. Or maybe, whatever. That I don't really, that really gets me is that there's a lot of jump scares because of the literal nature of, like, the movie. Mm -hmm. Which is that, like, it's, like, very, very quiet a lot of times. And then suddenly, boom. Like, I literally watched that movie with earplugs in because I was that serious about not getting jump scared. 
So, <laughs> but but I, I do think it's a, a good movie and one that, or it it is a, a competent movie that I would like to talk about at some point on here. Maybe we compare it with War of the Worlds, do a little Tom Cruise, Emily Blunt <laughs> double feature. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. We'll talk about it. But um, yeah, anyway, so Edge of Tomorrow, great movie, kind of underappreciated. Definitely go see it. Go see it. Definitely see it. <laughs> yeah, find some way to watch it. I don't know what it's on. I own the Blu-ray, so. Yeah, no, definitely worth a watch. All right, well, we'll we will be uh, back after the break to talk about Mad Max Fury Road. Hey, everyone. Thanks for checking out our show. Give us a follow on Twitter at SoundsFilmiliar and let us know any film pairings you would like us to cover. Did you also know that we have a sister show that covers cryptids, UFOs, and anything else strange and spooky? If that sounds like your thing, be sure to listen to I Hope You Exist on your favorite podcast service. We love you. Now back to the show. We're back from the break to discuss probably the most surprising uh, blockbuster <laughs> hit in recent memory yeah uh just came out of fucking nowhere i'm still bewildered sometimes when i think um, about this one <laughs> i had no idea it was coming out i was totally unaware of any ad campaigns or anything and then one day stephanie's like i just saw mad max fury road you need to see it and i was like <laughs> there's a new mad max movie why <laughs> did you go see a mad max movie yeah why did you enjoy a Mad Max movie? <laughs> so many questions. I know. I so we might as well get into our experiences. I I remember seeing some promotional material for this movie and being kind of like, "Huh. Well, that looks weird." And like I had heard of the Mad Max franchise, I guess. All I knew was that it was post-apocalyptic and it starred Mel Gibson and I was like, "I kind of don't really care about that. Looks kind of looks like a very 80s type of action movie that I don't really care about. Um, so, seeing the trailer, I think I saw a couple times, but I, I wasn't really aware of... I wasn't really aware of it beyond seeing the trailer a couple of times. I was like, okay, I mean, that looks kind of... looks kind of weird in, in a way that I'm interested in. But I'm also kind of like, this looks like a very, like, action-y type movie. And I was like, ah, we'll see... And then I think my brother was the one who was like, hey, you should go see this with me because he had seen it before. And um, I was like, uh, I mean, okay, hell yeah. So I <laughs> I was going to see uh, a lot of movies back then with my brother because he was like going to see a lot of movies. I don't know if he still does, but he <laughs> I hope he does because <laughs> he introduced me to at least a few movies. Um, anyways, so I went to see this with him and I was like, oh, holy shit. <laughs> That was actually really good. What? Like, <laughs> being just really, really like, huh, I was not expecting that at all. Um, and yeah, telling Caleb I sh that he should go see it. I feel like this movie surprised a lot of people, and that's part of why it's had so much cultural staying power. Like, it's also a, a very good and unique movie. Um, but I think also, <laughs> especially because it is technically the fourth movie in the Mad Max franchise. It's not the third. I think there's there's Mad Ma uh, there's Mad Max there's Beyond Thunderdome. I think there's, there's... you know what? this will this <laughs> hang on <laughs> this will be a very quick Google search. Yeah. Just keep talking, Stephanie. 
I believe it is the fourth movie in the Mad Max franchise. And oh, think... okay, right. There's Mad Max, then there's Road Warrior, then there's Beyond Thunderdome. Okay, so yes, and then there's Fury Road, okay. And people were not really expecting it, and then, you know, when it was actually good, everyone was like, what? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, Especially because I think the first three, not knowing that much about them, not having seen them, to for full disclosure, I, I, I think we're kind of, like, considered, you know, like, all right, like, they, you know, they're, they're things that people enjoy watching, but we're not considered, like, great cinema by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my my dad, like, quotes them constantly. Um, so <laughs> I, I grew yeah. up, like, p- part of growing up is understanding your dad's references. <laughs> um, and yeah. being like, that's where he got that from. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 20 years too late um yep so <laughs> no i know what you mean i went into this movie completely blind i hadn't even seen a trailer oh wow and several minutes into it like i turn and i look at stephanie and i'm like what is this like what is this editing what is this cinematography this movie is so chaotic it and is. all over the place like w- this is so unconventional um but i met the movie on its on its terms gotta meet the movie on its terms i gotta meet the movie on its level where i gotta meet it where it's asking me to meet it and i uh that that was one of my first biggest exercises in that yes like you know what (laughs) okay i'm just gonna this is what the movie is giving me i'm just gonna try and receive it it's definitely a movie that you need to meet on its terms in almost every way especially if you're not expecting it right yes you have not been prepared for it um because the editing of it is incredibly it's a little frenetic frenetic that's a good word for it yes and it's a very stylized movie like in so many different ways you know the world has a very particular aesthetic to it there are a lot of rules that you just do not know at all going in there's they have a certain way of speaking like in slang and just like terminology that the they use that if you watch it enough times, you you get pretty well immersed in it. But the first time, you can be like, "What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what does mm-hmm. any of that mean?" Watching it with subtitles really helps. Yes, yes. Watching it, really it in did, theaters. Past time. If you watch it in theaters without subtitles and people are dropping <laughs> slang terms They're for things that you some don't shit know, in Australian you're just like, accents and "They you're like, sure are what? saying words." I guess <laughs> doesn't sound like any word I've ever heard. See, but... fortunately, it is a movie that works fairly well, even if you can't always tell what's being said like the story is straightforward enough that you can gather most of the essentials just by the visuals just by what you see yeah you can you you can get it through context clues but it does help to be able to understand what's being said and for that reason i would certainly recommend watching it with subtitles especially if you're not australian (laughs) right (laughs) they because they drop the the craziest slang in it that probably I imagine it's probably a combination of Australian slang and slang that isn't even a real thing and just exists in this universe. Right. Which is kind of cool. I mean, it makes it feel... And as an American, I don't know which is which. Yeah, I don't... They might as well both be from another universe. I know, I know. But but it is very good at visual storytelling. Um, And even for, as we described, the frenetic editing, it's still... You can usually more or less tell the important stuff of what's going on, which I think is really good. I was going to say, before we get more into the uh actual film analysis of the 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 the, how how technically uh uh profound and uh competent it is 
if you're thinking of or talking about the slang and the Australian accents, when you think of the combination of the two, like, does a specific word come to mind, like, from the movie? Like, if I said slang from this movie plus Australian accent. A schmeghuit schlanger. I was about to say <laughs> schlanger was the one that. Schlanger, yeah, exactly. The one that comes I to was mind. like, what was that sentence? Like, <laughs> I don't know what any of that is. <laughs> I can tell it's meant to be insulting. That's all I have got. <laughs> and then, of course, it. Certain words that, like, you know are not Australian slang that you know are specific to that world. Yes. Where they have their entire, like, lore and everything, which right. is kind of cool, honestly. Like, and... guzzling. Right, right. Which, and that's a good example of, like, contextually you can tell what that is. Mm -hmm. And you can also infer not only that it's gasoline, but also that they've constructed a particular word for it because of how important it is mm -hmm. to their world, which is really cool. See, there is, talking about the world building, there is... This movie rewards you paying attention. Yes. Because it drops a lot of stuff on you that you have to figure out yourself through context clues. And, like, you only are able to, like, figure out, like, the context. You may not get the full information, but guess what? The movie gives you just enough to piece things together. Which is, you know what? That's all I need. No, that's good. see, yeah. there's... It walks the line between, um, uh... A, a lesser, a, a more, a more poorly written script would just be dropping all sorts it would of be lore. Expository. It would be expository, or, or, or even worse, it would be dropping all of this, this slang and this lore and references to other stuff with no context clues. It would right. just be like, here's a bunch of lore that's meaningless to you, and like does not, like it doesn't, you can't figure anything out by being yes. told like it's some random dude's name or like or a piece of world building needs context right um and then but so it walks the line between just dropping a bunch of stuff that's not important and doesn't matter and over explaining right so and then other movies <clears throat> will explain everything within an inch of its life because some fanboys just can't handle not fucking knowing With something or and um like uh, that's never been a thing before so this movie you can it, it walks that line yes you can be con very confused if you're not paying any attention or if you're like not actively trying to absorb the dialogue if you're just watching it like a brain dead you're gonna go whoa every time someone <laughs> says something um well and it can feel very much like you were just dropped suddenly into a completely different world oh that it feels does very fleshed out. i think it like... actively is trying to get that feeling because in some um, way that's that's Max is like the, mm -hmm. he he's kind of thrust into a situation where like I mean you can kind of tell he's been in this world for a while but this particular society maybe he hasn't been thrust into mm -hmm. yet. Um, and, you know it does a very good job of so Max is dropped into it and so are you you are learning yes. all of this about, essentially along with him which you know and it's supposed to feel disorienting because the first mm -hmm. I would say mm -hmm. third of the movie maybe is just pure disorientation yeah and you're seeing it through Max's eyes and he, Tom Hardy conveys that very well he constantly looks confused and pissed off and you know just like everything like bro what the fuck like um and I think you you kind of relate to that as the audience but but there is an important shift where when he gets a little more control of, of himself, then he has to start making choices and, like, understanding the characters around him and what they want and need. Mm -hmm. And then 
and you kind of go on that journey with him from just the pure disorientation and like need to get the fuck out of there to suddenly like oh maybe I should start caring about someone other than myself like and I think you go on that journey with him pretty expertly I, I think like you, you see it very much through his eyes, and at every moment I feel like you're feeling the things that he is feeling. Even though he doesn't talk much, like, mm-hmm. and frankly doesn't emote that much, you still really feel where no, he's at he's, most of the that's time. That's what makes him, he's like a, um, a good video game protagonist. He's like, mm. he's like, a, he's like a master chief. He yes. doesn't say that much. Like, he moves through the story and, like, responds to the other characters, but he himself is largely a blank vessel. Right. You know just enough to be able to specifically say some things about him. Like, his family died, he feels guilt about uh, the deaths of people he feels he could have saved, and now he's literally just trying to survive. Um, And so he's enough of a, of a blank slate for you to be, like, to, to you know... Right, and just that little tiny bit of backstory we get from him, which I feel is left very vague on purpose, like just enough for you to be like, oh, what's the story there? Yeah, just enough to make you go, hmm, maybe I should watch the originals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good which, work there. I don't know how much of that is lifted from the originals. I have to imagine it's probably a lot. Um, but, and then that gives him, as a character, not just an audience stand-in, but then as a character, gives him just enough motivation to make the journey from selfishness to selflessness and like to go from just trying to survive to actually trying to help people uh, trying to help other people and specifically people who are trying to make a better future right like so that that takes i think that elevates him from just an audience stand-in to an actual character with you know growth and and goals and things like that which i think is a really nice balance because you kind of need him to be both and you know it part of the analysis speaking of you know pov characters and everything that i've heard about this movie is that it's kind of interesting where it's like max is the pov character but in some ways furious as the protagonist because mm-hmm. she's much more active whereas max is very reactive for most of it and is more like i wouldn't i wouldn't call him passive you know he's definitely an active protagonist but he is very reactive to what other people do and is kind of responding to that mm-hmm. um he doesn't get to become active until the third act. Right. But even that feels so intentional where it's like the point where he goes from reactive and just kind of like helping or hindering other people to making his own decisions is kind of a satisfying moment in and of itself because it's like it feels like he is fully acclimated to his surroundings and is making fully informed choices to either be selfish or selfless. But... um. But yes, but Furiosa then is like, she is less of a POV character, though you do get her POV at times, which I think is important. Um, but she is very much kind of the character that sets the entire plot in motion. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't get much of her internality, but you do get it at very key moments, which I think is really cool. Um, and in that way, it's almost kind of the reverse of how it often is where it's like I don't know where I was going with that like I don't know I think it's cool that like as a female character TM you know like you you don't always see completely inside her head and yet you see a lot of her humanity at very key points um and while she's like a mysterious badass person you still see her be really vulnerable at times which I think is really cool um and and she obviously has her own motivations though 
you don't get a lot of her backstory, which I think would have been cool, but it isn't really necessary. Like, I think there's so much that could be explored with her, like, you know, being a woman, but she has a very different role, obviously, from the wives, like, yeah. and you, it makes you wonder, like, well, was she ever at that point, or, like, does she see some of herself in them, or, you know, what... I mean, there's gonna be a whole movie, right? Is there? Is it Furiosa getting her own movie? I don't know, I mean, that'd be cool. I'm pretty sure she... I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm pretty... So, I think the greenlit two, like, movies, there's, um... Yeah, there, there's Furiosa. It's literally just called Furiosa. Um, and then apparently there's also Mad Max The Wasteland. Okay. And they're both, like, coming out in, uh, quote, Furiosa to become biggest film ever made in Australia. Cool. <laughs> um, yeah. See, I have such mixed feelings about With that. With Anya Taylor-Joy, Chris Hemsworth. Oh, hell yeah. Okay, cool. Mm, like, I'm interested. Because on the one hand, I really want to see those stories. On the other hand, like, I love the characters in this movie so much and, like, how they interact with each other specifically. That the fact that it's not... The, we're not going to see any more stories with them all interacting together makes me really yeah. sad because, like, I want to see that. I mean, in particular, I'd love to see a sequel of, like, Furiosa and the wives, quote-unquote, like, after they take back the Citadel. And, like, maybe having to defend it and stuff. Like, I, I don't know. I would really like to see that, but I don't know if we're going to. I'm just... I tend to prefer sequels to prequels, but it's just me. <laughs> anyway. um, I don't know. I would like to talk about some of the, 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 the world building and, like, the set design. Um... The, there was one thing I noticed on this watch through that I had never noticed before. And that's that there. So this is a world that has clearly been in like this state for quite some time. Um, to the point that, you know, there are many, many pe people who are, you know, a young adults at this point who are totally unaware of the world before. Um, and there has been a a lot of adaptations to this new world i noticed that there are uh increasingly like through throughout the movie um their like cars will have like gadgets or devices or these cobbled together things that are specifically designed to account for specific usages um like so the war rig is always going to be accompanied by a couple cars. So guess what? The war rig has a fucking crane on it that'll go out to the other side and like can pick up a dude who's in a car that's about to explode and bring him back to the war rig. Or like they had those cars that with the harpoons on them that also had those things that would drop down into the sand to slow down the thing that they harpooned. And the, the world was just full of just dozens of things like that. These specifically built post-apocalyptic things for like single use like this is things we've encountered like furiosa has guns hidden all over her war rig you know um the the freaking pole cats like wh why do they already have that why do they have a whole squadron of dudes on poles i don't know in case they need to freaking come up on a car and pull somebody out of the cab <laughs> i mean i guess they do technically <laughs> see them do that like I guess that's the whole point. They're made for, like, warfare specifically on moving vehicles. Like, yeah. 
And that's what their whole society is structured around. And I guess... V8. It's right. It's in particular, it must be because they live in like the Australian outback or whatever. (laughs) I don't think that's ever specifically said, but you know, we do the contextual. We'll ride eternal on the Fury Road. Yeah, but you have to think if this post apocalyptic society was set in other places, maybe wouldn't be like that, wouldn't be so focused on cars and the ability to like ride cars from one place to another if things were like closer together. Yeah. But because they're out here in the desert and everything is so far apart, like, pretty much the only way that they can survive is by having, like, adequate means of transportation, which has become, like, this precious thing. And so they, like, literally worship, you know, cars and engines and fuel because it that's pretty much the only way they can survive because if they're isolated in the middle of the desert, then they fucking die. So, you know, like, <laughs> that. I mean, it makes sense. It's just interesting because it feels so specific to the setting. Like, it wouldn't be mm-hmm. the case elsewhere. Mm-hmm. It feels very much like a generation of people who have grown up in this weirdly specific wasteland. Yeah. I mean, the second movie is literally called Road Warrior. Yeah. Right, <laughs> right, there, There's right. a certain amount implication there, you know? Mm. Yeah, which is kind of interesting. And, of course, I mean, the exact dimensions of the world are never quite clear because, like, we were talking about that one point where they're looking at the salt flats and you were like yeah if you rode for 160 days across any part of the outback you would still get you would to the reach coast. the ocean yeah if you could ride for 160 days yes if you days. could ride in a straight line on a motorcycle from like for like uh, half dawn, a year from dawn almost. till dusk it would take you like two weeks with no hindrances to hit the coast right even if you started from the <laughs> widest point of australia which is weird. It's like, are they in like the middle of Asia or something? Somewhere fucking huge, but they're 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 not. It's pretty clear that they're supposed to be in Australia. I think I think that's what it's meant to be implied. Like, and Australia isn't that big. So, I mean, okay. I don't know. Uh, 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 disclaimer <laughs> or, or uh, citation. Uh, like, it, it, it's pretty big. It's big, but it isn't but that big. It, it is isn't a hundred sixty days ride big. Yes, like not many places are. You know, if you assume that you can ride for yeah, I mean, sixty you, days shit, without you a can, problem, you can go from uh, people have gone from the east coast of the United States to the west coast in like twenty six hours. You know. Um, oh god, that sounds like a nightmare. But yes. Oh, it's a whole thing. You technically can't. Oh, it's a whole like that. illegal like underground like illegal. people get like these crazy cars with like internal fuel tanks that they're able to fill up from inside and like they have scouts go out and like check where speed traps are <laughs> and motherfuckers thinking they in Mad Max. I know, here. no, it's a whole <laughs> it's a whole like contest thing. Okay. It's a whole underground thing to try and cross from coast to coast in as short a time as possible. God, I think I the current record is like something like twenty six hours. That just sounds like the most miserable experience possible, but sure. <laughs> Good for you guys, I guess. Um but yeah, that <laughs> anyway, the specifics aren't important. Like, you know, the the whole point of them not being able to cross the salt flats is that they need to go back to the citadel. They need to go back to the people and they need to remake society instead of escaping it. Which is if you that's can't the fix whole point. What's broken, you'll go insane. Exactly. The whole point is fixing what's broken instead of just trying to get away from it. And and so that's why they kind of they need that reason capital r why they can't just escape from it and just keep going and why they need to turn back and instead of you know and and instead try to retake their society um 
which you know i like it's i especially like you know the rather i suppose if you're looking at the film through a metaphorical lens the rather on the nose metaphor of the fact that the green place that everyone's trying so desperately to get to is now a complete wasteland and and poisoned and is just it, the place that they are trying to escape to is no longer viable so you can't escape you have to instead you, right you have to fix the place that you're in right and that you know feels pretty pretty intentional i guess like um and it's also interesting to me that like <laughs> it's such a patriarchal society that they just have a literal patriarch <laughs> in almost every sense of the word like they barely even have a form of government they essentially have the patriarch and his sons who i guess are the the oligarchs and then they have like slaves basically like slaves and soldiers and you know like oh yeah i was about to say don't civilians. forget the warrior class right right the warrior class who are once again i'm almost classifying them as slaves they're just mm. less like slaves and more like cult followers um and what i think is really cool too about you know the way this world is kind of hyper literalized like there is metaphor but it's so on the nose that it but you can accept it in that kind of setting. You can accept a really on-the-nose metaphor because it feels appropriate. Like, everything here is super extreme. Like, the war boys, they're able to retake the Citadel pretty easily because when their patriarch is killed, it's like they just... It's like they don't it's, stop existing, but they just don't have anything anymore. They're like, oh, okay. Well. Right, it's like, well, damn, what do we do now? That's like the I don't know, line. I never thought we'd get this yeah, far. Like, <laughs> well, and it's because it's almost literally that way. Like, they're all dying, which, once again, if you want to talk about on-the-nose metaphors, it's like young men who are specifically raised, like, with the express purpose of dying for the patriarch, you know? Knock-knock metaphor, you know? Like... Um, the, their, what is it, radiation poisoning or something like something that? Something like, like that. Yeah, like, they, they rarely make it past, whatever age, past young adulthood. So, and that's, like, something that's specifically told to us. And their entire society, at least for these young men, is structured around the idea of, I don't know, martyrdom, I guess you would call it. I mean, they do have a religion, um... It's essentially like a, a cult or an extremist faction of a religion where they are encouraged to um, kill themselves for... The cause. Right, for the cause. They're specifically told that they will go to Valhalla, which is interesting because it echoes like, you know, ancient, what is it, Norse, Norse. mythology where they would, you know, they would tell soldiers that if they were killed in battle, they would go to this essentially heaven-like afterlife called Valhalla and they literally lifted that word from that so it's kind of um contextually very similar to that where that is where warriors go and of course that's what they all want but then what's interesting is when the leader is killed <laughs> they have um no problem retaking the place because it's like all the will is just gone from them they're like oh well <laughs> if 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 the seemingly um the seemingly invulnerable leader is killed then it's like that shatters the entire illusion does it shatter the illusion well okay so we don't get it doesn't really get get into it the only war boy who like we actually see like the illusion is shattered for is nux um 
the rest of them, the movie ends before we get yes, to explore it. But they don't because seem it's to like, have that much trouble do is they, the thing. Well, hold they just on. It's, walk it's, back in. Is the illusion shattered? Or do they just accept their new ruler? Like, I mean, and, that could also the, be true. The person who killed... Um, that could uh, also be name? true in Morton Joe, but there's no there's no indication of that in the no. text that that would be the rules that like if someone kills the current ruler because the with the way things are currently in their philosophy is that the ruler can't be killed or at least that is the implication. So there's no real we have no direction as to what they would do if the ruler was killed, mm-hmm. and so it almost feels like I don't know. It almost feels kind of like an Edge of Tomorrow where like when the uh, the Omega, the hive mind or whatever, is is destroyed. That just leaves all of them kind of paralyzed and aimless. Like, because they're so structured around, like, a... I don't know if you could call it a society, but a, um, a system in which there is someone at the top, like, more or less. Mm-hmm. If not controlling, then at least strongly influencing the others. Then if that is taken out, because it's such a hierarchical system, then it leaves all the other ones kind of completely rudderless um i don't know which i thought was interesting because of kind of showing the fallibility of a system in which one person has so much power over everyone else um you know so you know so many things about this movie you could say there's a lot more room to explore that but we just kind of don't right (laughs) it's like you're kind of left to come up with your own right this movie explores what it explores and everything else which is a lot is left up to your interpretation but i think even with you know speaking of that like i think with nux in particular that is kind of an illustration where i think it's not so much that he's special i think that could be the journey of almost any one of the war boys if they were in that situation and i think it's supposed to show like just how vulnerable that ideology is and how easily it can be disproven by just someone showing them like basic compassion and like hey maybe all that's bullshit like like with him it's like you see him be like insanely just fanatically devoted to this like crazy little religion that they have to the point where you know he's like taking drugs he's screaming he's trying to commit suicide like all this insanity. He tries multiple times and right? fails. <laughs> Which is a little hilarious in and of itself. Like, he's really trying to kill himself for this cause, but the universe just keeps, like, kind of, like, thumping him backwards. But then almost pretty much all it takes is for him to fail, you know, a few times in his quest. And then, you know, for the, I don't know, the good guys to show him a little compassion and like accept him as an ally and he's just kind of like i guess i'm good now <laughs> which like <laughs> you want to team up with you guys right which it's honestly kind of sweet because What's... it's like you completely buy it you you're never are you like i don't believe that he would turn good so quickly instead you're like yeah i believe it he's some fucking stupid teenager who doesn't know what he's doing and as soon as people are nice to him he's completely ready to join them like i believe that <laughs> It's, um, what's the, the fucking community line? The, if you run around teaming up with everyone who suggests it, you're not conspiring at all. You're just doing random you're crap. Just... <laughs> Which, I, mean, I don't know if that applies it here. It kind but... of feels like, but it's, but it's kind of a more complicated version of that where it's like, really what it is at the core of it is that he's just a very young person who knows very little about the world because there's not much to know at right. this point. And like, 
he's gonna go with whoever like is taking care of him basically which is really sad like but essentially it's just a very young person dying of cancer or whatever it is and is just like whoever exerts the strongest influence on me that's my new daddy like that's my new god or whatever that's who i'm gonna go for and but what's nice is it's kind of like i think it's supposed to represent the potential of the other people within this society to i don't know become good all all it takes is someone showing you a potential alternative right exactly because they're unaware of this any is a society of people who do not have alternatives like that's almost like that's a good way of putting a good way of putting it because that's almost definitionally what they are like <laughs> they have nothing else they have to accept what's given to them or they'll just fucking die and when he's presented an alternative like literally all it takes is like redhead girl who's oh my god the names in this movie anyway it's it's not capable is it it's capable capable? yes it's capable um and and she's just like oh yeah maybe it's best that you know you didn't kill yourself for that asshole and he's like huh you know what you're right like like that's literally all it and then he he's when he finally does give his life it's for a good cause it's for a worthy cause right and it's and it doesn't feel as you know how we were talking about earlier how like does everyone need to die for the cause but it makes more sense with him because he's fucking dying anyway as like sadly a lot of them are right like it it wasn't like he could have like lived after that it was like oh well he my poor little man like has cancer like he's gonna fucking die like but he's able to die in a way that's, like, his choosing and isn't just him dying for some old asshole who, like, is just using him as cannon fodder. Right. As we saw specifically some of his comrades do. Yeah, like, in the past. And it feels so much more meaningful because of that. Right, and it's it's interesting, the juxtaposition. So the, the war boys, it, they just, they're just throwing themselves at like the war rig and Furios and her allies it's just one after another just like throw enough bodies at the problem and it'll eventually work oh, yeah, out literally but then, but then all it takes is one person with the right ideology giving themselves up for the a, a, a good thing to yeah. the one person yeah to, to take out uh, to completely turn the tide of the altercation right know? and i love like the concept of like the witnessing which is like something that's like their big thing is like they want to be witnessed it's not enough to just give your life you have it's like a very communal thing like you have to be seen by other people for your legacy to live on for you to die historic as they describe it like and <laughs> there's kind of like that sort of set up and payoff kind of thing where it's like other war boys do that like they they give themselves up they like die for the cause and like literally get called mediocre by by other ones where it's like oh, that that's all your death amounts to like you literally kill yourself fighting for something and other people are just kind of like eh i guess it was okay like which especially hurts even though they're dead so they won't know but it especially hurts in a culture that encourages witnessing each other and like right like preserving the legacy of your comrades but and which is why it's kind of like a nice turnaround i guess where it's like witnessing is still important but it's taken on a new meaning because it's it's not just dying just so you can 
like it's not just dying in a cool way right it's not just dying in a cool way so some old fucking powerful guy can keep like you know can keep running everything it's like wanting to be witnessed because you want someone else to to know what you have done you want to like be part of making something better yeah and and so that's why I'm not mad about it. I think it's really beautiful. And, like, I don't know. I think it's also very significant that our two, like, primary good male characters, which there are all of two of them, <laughs> which is also a little funny. Like, they both have to be very self-sacrificial in a certain way. Um, because, well... To be fair, I was going to say this is a society that demands women sacrifice a lot, but it's a society that demands just about everyone except for the people at the very top sacrifice a lot. Mm-hmm. But um, specifically, it our <laughs> our two good male characters, our two good boys, our two our good boys, <laughs> um, uh, like sacrificing themselves so that the um female characters can survive and make a better a better society of course max doesn't die fortunately but he he does have kind of that interesting role where he's sort of that lone ranger character who like he helps save the day but then he sort of disappears into the crowd and like furious and the wives are you know are left to to take control of the citadel and like hopefully build a better society but max is just kind of like he's in agent of change but then he sort of disappears because he's not interested in like power or anything like that he just kind of is he's here to help and then he's gonna peace out (laughs) his personal journey is not complete right and i think that's kind of cool and which is why like i would be interested to see more stories about him as kind of like someone who goes through other people's stories well i got good news for you (laughs) yes i'm i'm looking forward to that but um yeah, and I think I mean, and I think that's another thing that took a lot of people by surprise is how like I don't know feminist TM it feels. It's like you don't expect that going in. It looks very much like a this is a fucking dude movie about cool cars and we're gonna do yep. some some. Like, have fire- you seen every Die Hard sequel? Yeah, it, 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 <laughs> you're gonna love this. Ex- right, it extremely has that energy. Uh, t- Tips for uh, tricking your stepdad into watching feminist media. Uh, make it a right. Mad Max sequel. Right, it's Mad Max. There are cool cars and explosions. Like, but like at the heart of it, it's it's really nice. Like I I don't know I I've grown to really appreciate like uh, apocalyptic or post apocalyptic fiction that kind of deals with like gender issues to some capacity, which. There are other things I've enjoyed that kind of explore those, like 28 Days Later, which we haven't talked about yet, which we will at some point. That was another one that I was kind of like, this is a scary movie about zombies, and then suddenly in the second half of the movie, exploring feminism, like, in post-apocalyptia, or, like, more specifically, exploring, like, the ways in which men will attempt to exploit women in any situation. But, um, but, like... I don't know, I really like that about this one, especially since it's set in a society in which people are so much reduced to their function, you know, like, the, um, the wives that Furiosa is attempting to rescue, like, are, have been reduced by the people in power, Morton Joe specifically, as, like, their specific function, which in this society is to 
to be sexy and provide reproduction. Like, that's yep. pretty much it. Like, the most essential, and I'm saying this with the most extreme of air quotes, woman role, um, which is to be of reproductive value. And that's the interesting thing about it. It's like it very much reduces them to that evo psych role, which is like not just to be sexy, not just to be sex slaves, but also to produce healthy children, like to further the patriarch's line. Um, I don't know. I thought it was surprisingly interesting, like how that was explored. And, um, and not just that, like, not only are they you know like damsel characters like they are but they also have like interior lives and they have individual personalities and like even among those characters they don't all always agree like you know like there's the one girl who is like this is too fucking scary i'm just i'm going back like yeah it sucks there but it sucks even more out here and they're like no we can't go back remember we're not things and she's like but i don't want to die so and so even then they right like they have their individual like traits as characters which i really liked um and i really like a post-apocalyptic piece of fiction in which not every character is just like a gun-wielding badass like because newsflash like if the world went to shit tomorrow there would be a lot of people who would not be that and like we're still we would still be left with the question of like what do we do with people who aren't providing some immediate like value to society but they're still people who deserve to be able to have their own lives like anyways <laughs> okay i could go on that tangent for a while but... yeah i thought you were on a roll thank you caleb i thought so myself but <laughs> i was just gonna let you go yeah no no never do that <laughs> we wouldn't have a podcast if i didn't uh-huh but anyways so yeah, I really like them as characters, and one of these days I want to do a group cosplay where we're just like, all right, we've got a dozen rolls of toilet paper. We're going to make these <laughs> outfits. <laughs> no, that would be really cool. But anyway, really great movie. Could talk about it a lot more because there's a lot to talk about. But yeah, you should definitely watch it. Yeah, like why haven't you? What, what, why haven't you? Why haven't you seen it? Who hasn't? What, I know. I'm. What, I'm so someone. Kind of, I mean, I our friend remember, hadn't seen it. Who hadn't? Seen, oh yeah. Well, that's that's different. She hasn't seen a lot of movies. <laughs> um, I feel like I think I don't remember who it was. Someone I know tried to tell me that like Fury Road wasn't very good, and I was like, Holmes "Cool, so I can fuck. just completely discount your opinion about anything, right?" I, like I. <laughs> I either hear people not talk about it at all or say only good things about it. Like, that's, those, those are pretty much the options. <laughs> like, literally my only complaint about it would be that I wish there was a little more character development because of all the, like, characters that are introduced. Like, I wish there was a little more for each of them but i'm also very sympathetic to how difficult that is like if you have a lot of characters like how difficult it is to like spend a lot of time with each of them yeah and it's not a movie that has a lot of dialogue also no unless so, you gotta keep the runtime down yes like i i'm i'm sympathetic to it like there were there are adjustments i would make if i was making the movie but as it is i think it's very <laughs> good not. no i'm not sadly i'd love to make a sequel but it's fine Anyways, so, so yeah, no, I, very nearly perfect for what it is. 
And so if you don't like it, I'm just going to have to press gonna, X to doubt I'm on gonna your I'm going to come to your house opinions. and beat you up. <laughs> Kill him. You can't threaten our, view- our viewers, listeners just, on air. L- just listen to me. <laughs> I'll do, yeah. I can't say just watch me. Cause <laughs> just watch, just watch me. No, it's, hear me. I don't know. Witness me. Witness me. me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> I'm I'm good. Are you good? Yeah. Cool. Good. Uh, my name's Caleb. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at actual underscore Caleb. My name is Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Steph has no name and on Letterboxd at Ray's Left Boob. And you can find the show at Sounds Familiar. And we'll see you guys next week for the fifty-first episode. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Be sure to check the episode description for any links we may have included related to this week's episode. You can find us online on Twitter and Instagram at SoundsFamiliar. If you'd like to get in contact with us, drop us a line at SoundsFamiliar at gmail.com. We'd like to thank our friend Chelsea for our logo. Check her out on Instagram at ChelseaBHDesigns. We'd also like to thank Shane Quick for our theme music. If you feel so inclined, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to tune in every Thursday for new episodes. We'll see you next time on Sounds Familiar.